Today's Mothering Sunday, when we think about mothering, we think about our mothers, obviously, but mothering in general. And the whole church family has a responsibility for mothering, for caring for each other, and for helping parents and supporting them in bringing up their children. And you know, God also is good at mothering in a nurturing sense. Uh, we, we call God a father, but some people actually call him Mother God, which is a bit uncomfortable for some of us. But anyway, he, he does nurture us, he watches over us, and he protects us. And this week I found a quote which kind of reminded me of that. So just in case you forgot, if God had a fridge, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and sunshine every morning. When you want to talk, he'll listen. He could live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart. That's nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. Well, it is because it's about God. (laughs) Exodus chapter 40. Now, at the beginning of the chapter, which we didn't read today... We're told that on the first day of the first month, so first day of the year, first priority, Moses set up the tabernacle, and otherwise known as the tent of meeting, according to God's instructions. Then all the furnishings and all the equipment were anointed, and the priests were anointed and consecrated, exactly as God instructed. And then the glory of the Lord or the magnificent presence of the Lord appeared in the visible form of a cloud. And it was so powerful that even Moses, who'd spoken to God face face to face several times, could not go into the tent. While I was thinking about this, a thought occurred to me. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. I thought they had it easy. They could see a visible sign of the presence of God. What difference would it make if there was a cloud, a visible cloud here in church, maybe at the Holy End, or maybe here in the middle? What difference would that make to us, to the way we worship, to our attitude in coming to church? Let's be honest, we'd be on our faces, wouldn't we? Or at least on our knees, at least for the first few weeks until we got complacent. But you know, in all our communion services, and in fact in any services that come out of the book, we always say, the Lord is here. His spirit is with us. And both Mark and Meg have said this morning, the Lord is here. In our songs, we sing about coming into the presence of God and God coming to be with us. Do we believe this? Do we really believe that God is here with us this morning? And if so, how should we respond to him? In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? And if God lives in each of us, then when we come together, that's a big, powerful dose of his spirit, isn't it? And he makes his home here with us. That's just amazing, isn't it? 
Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three come together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So how much more when there's a hundred of us? When we meet together as a church family, we come to meet each other and we come to support and encourage each other. But the main purpose is to come to worship and to have an encounter with the living God. We expect to meet him here. We expect to hear from him. You know, it is possible to take God for granted and to forget about his presence with us or even to ignore him. But one of the things that we've discovered in our um, study of the book of Exodus is that God really doesn't like being ignored. So let's think about what we can learn from the verses we read today. God had given Moses these incredibly detailed instructions about building the tabernacle and bringing God into the center of the the camp because they had had a tent of meeting outside the camp, but this was to be in the camp. The instructions included the precise size and shape and placement of every single piece of furniture, every dish, plate, bowl, cup, and all the decorations and precisely what everything had to be made of. Even the curtains and how they were to be made and what they were to be decorated with. And exactly and precisely what the priests were to wear, what colours all the different bits were to be, even down to the tassels on the bottom of the robes. And this had taken a great deal of skill from all the craftsmen and generosity from all the people in terms of their gifts of time and talents and money. Moses started with the Ark of the Covenant. That's what God had told him to do and and built outwards. So around the Ark of the Covenant, he made the most holy place where only the high priest was allowed to go and only once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. Then around the most holy place, he made the holy place where the priests did their work for most of the rest of the year. And then there was the courtyard outside that where, the, where most of the sacrifices took place. Moses and the people had honoured God and been obedient to him in the way that they provided the materials and they prepared all the furnishings and fabrics exactly as they'd been told. And God responded by showing up to live in the centre of the community. And it was over the Ark of the Covenant that the presence of God hovered. But if the cloud lifted up, they had to be ready to break camp and move and follow the cloud. So let's think for a minute about the Ark and what was in it and why. Firstly, there was the jar of manna. And that represents God's love and provision for his people. Then there was the staff of Aaron. Do you remember Aaron's staff, which had budded and produced flowers and almonds all at the same time, even though that's impossible, um, to, for God to demonstrate to the people that Aaron was his chosen priest and not anybody else. Um, so this staff was in the, in the ark, but I think it's, it's really to remind us as a walking stick that it's, there are people on the move. They've got to be ready to move, to walk, to go. And then there were the tablets of stone with the 
covenant on them, the Ten Commandments. And they represent the need to take God seriously and to be obedient to him. So the attitude of the people towards God was to be of love and gratitude for what he'd done. Because he'd brought them out of Egypt, hadn't he? And he'd provided food and water in the wilderness. So love and gratitude, of readiness to move, and of respect and joyful obedience. Joyful because of the amazing things God had done for them and the way he'd looked after them. What about us then? What should our attitude to God be? We're now in the New Testament or New Covenant era and we don't make animal sacrifices anymore. And this is because people found that it was just too difficult to live without sin. So Jesus came to make a new way for us to be put right with God. Jesus lived a life without sin and then gave himself as the perfect sacrifice once and for all for anybody and everybody who wants to accept his free gift. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, We have complete freedom to go into the most holy place by means of the death of Jesus. Remember, that's the place that only the high priest can go once a year in Israel. So because of Jesus, we don't need a priest to make atonement for us anymore. We can be made clean by him, and we can go ourselves into the presence of God. Romans 3 verse 23 tells us that every single one of us has sinned, but that we can be put right with God because of what Jesus has done. Romans 3 verse 20 says, No one is put right in God's sight by doing what the law requires. Being a Christian is not about being good. We could never be good enough. We can only rely on what Jesus has done for us and accept his free gift of being put right with God with gratitude and with relief. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who live in union with Christ Jesus. What does being in union with Christ Jesus mean? It means allowing Jesus to come into our lives by the Holy Spirit and being in partnership with him. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Then you will be able to know the will of God, what is pleasing to him and is perfect. As Meg said last week, it's not about striving It's not about trying our hardest to be as good as we possibly can. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to change us, to transform us from the inside and to make us God-centered. You know, some Christians sometimes seem to rewrite the the parable of the prodigal son. Do you remember that one? It's where a man has two sons 
And the younger son goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance money now. And the father is gracious enough to give him the money. And then he goes off and blows it all on what's delicately called loose living and ends up penniless and looking after pigs who have more to eat than he does. So he decides to go back to his father and apologize and ask if he can be taken on as one of the household servants. Now, some people seem to think that it should go that on the way back, he met his older brother who said, well, the old man's still awfully cross with you, but if you like, I'll put in a good word for you and we'll see if he'll let you in, but you'll have to be on your best behavior and you better watch your step. But that's not how Jesus told the story, is it? Jesus said the father was watching and waiting. And as soon as he saw his son in the distance, he ran to meet him. Remember, gentlemen did not run in those days. He ran to meet him. He threw his arms around him. He put the family ring on his finger. He put the best robe on him. And he threw a massive celebration party. Jesus says there's a party in heaven every time someone turns to God. And living in partnership with Jesus is a joyful thing. We are allowed to be happy. Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, I have come that you might have life, life in all its fullness. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 100 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful singing. Philippians 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice always. I will say it again. Rejoice. You know, people are designed or created to know and worship God. If they don't know God, then they tend to find something else to worship or to become the most important and significant thing in their life. It might be intellectualism, it might be power, it might be money or sex or drugs or alcohol or something else. It's like when the Israelites rebelled against God, they needed something else to worship, so they made themselves some idols. But people are made to worship, and they're made to worship God. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, King David said, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. God says in Numbers 14, that the whole earth is filled with his glory. Not just the church buildings, the whole earth. As God's people, we should be able to recognize it. When we worship God, we also want to please him, don't we? By putting him first. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, by doing what he wants us to do and going where he wants us to go. 
So then, our attitude to God would be of love and gratitude for what he's done for us, of readiness to go where and when he wants, and of respect and joyful obedience, which is remarkably similar to the attitude God was requiring from the Israelites. Here at All Saints, we call ourselves a church on the way. We are keeping our ears tuned to the Holy Spirit, or trying to. We're going to be ready to go when he sends us. Ready to change the way we do things if he asks us to. Ready to serve him in joyful obedience. Is there something that the Holy Spirit wants to prompt you about this morning? Something he wants you to do for him? Something he wants you to stop doing? Someone he wants you to speak to? Something he wants you or all of us to do differently? Let's just keep a moment's silence to listen to him and then I'll pray for us. Father God, thank you for your presence here this morning. Help us to recognize your voice and to be joyfully obedient to you and ready to move in the direction you want us to go. We are so grateful that you sent Jesus so that we can be put right with you. Please will you help us to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.